Well, welcome to the next edition of Business Law Focus. Great having you with us. Absolute pleasure to welcome Lisa Ann Schaefer-King, who's a director at Fluxman's, to the show today. And we want to uh, cover some really interesting ground. The employment equity legislation um, has come in uh, for a lot of headlines, um, I would, not necessarily scrutiny, but the, what we want to, uh, is clarity for the business sector. And there was a recent decision that came through, a settlement agreement uh, that came through um, in late June, and it was actually between Solidarity in the government, and it was uh, related also to the International Labour Organization and it uh, f- uh, conciliation process and facilitated by CCMA. So quite significant, Lisa. Thanks for the show. Maybe just give us a bit of background as to how we came to this point of needing a settlement agreement on, on these terms. Um, thanks so much, Evan, for the opportunity to be on your show. Um, yes, this has actually been an interesting um, um, dispute that was lodged by Solidarity um, over a year ago, and um, it was really in relation to um, employment equity and the manner in which it is applied within businesses. Um, And and what was interesting about the timing of this settlement agreement is um, many of you will understand that in April this year, there were certain amendments made to the Employment Equity Act, and um, one of those amendments was um, in Section 15A, an introduction of Section 15A that allows the Minister of Labour and Employment to determine certain numerical targets for various different sectors and industries. And of course, for most employers, that was quite terrifying, you can well imagine, is that the Minister would now have the ability to almost dictate what the um, staff complement should be at various different levels in terms of their employment equity reporting and their plans. Um, and what was interesting is that whilst there's much debate amongst the legal profession as to whether the settlement agreement, which was concluded on the 28th of June this year, as you correctly say, between solidarity and government, is of any force or effect, yeah. because essentially many of them are saying that a lot of what is contained in this settlement agreement has in fact been in the Employment Equity Time, so, uh, Employment Equity Act since inception. Um, but what, what is important for me is that it's found in the Employment Equity Act in various different areas and is not very succinctly set out. And what I liked about the settlement agreement when it came upon my desk is that it makes it very clear for employers in a very concise document exactly what they can and can't do and how to manage the employment equity reporting and their plans going forward. And just for an example is that I actually, Irvine, had a, a client of mine contact me a short while ago, and they had actually failed an employment equity mm-hmm. audit. And what was interesting is they were criticized because they hadn't met their own numerical goals in terms of the employment equity plans. And despite trying to explain um, that they couldn't obviously find the relevant skill sets, that they couldn't find the relevant resources within the market to to make sure that they met those numerical goals, the, the department seemed to not be interested. And they nearly failed them and said that they were going to seek a compliance order at the Labour Court, and of course they would apply for a penalty, um, which the company is obviously terrified of, because those penalties in, the, in terms of the Employment Equity Act are quite significant, as you can well understand. So what was interesting for me when I saw this, and a bit of a relief, is that I could then say to the client, hold on, you may have not met your numerical goals in terms of your own employment equity plan, but if you are able to justify it 
on these grounds that they've included in the settlement agreement, then you may well not be at, be in for that penalty. And that's exactly what the settlement agreement says, is that insofar as an employer is able to have justifiable or reasonable grounds for not complying with the numerical goals, either set in their own employment equity plans or going forward insofar as they are unable to reach the numerical goals set by um, the minister. As long as they can justify this on these grounds, they will not be in for a penalty. And that's huge relief for employers and businesses in South Africa. And just for example, those justifiable or reasonable grounds are as follows. It is either insufficient recruitment opportunities, so that may be that a business may have predicted that it would grow over the next five-year period and would have certain amount of people in executive management. And obviously, we know the economy has been very poor, things influence businesses, and maybe there hasn't been the opportunity to actually recruit at that level. There hasn't been the financial means within an organization, so that most certainly could be of assistance. Can I just take a step back? Uh, sorry, I want you to, to, to complete that, that list. I just wanted to get a sense on, you know, your point initially on the implementation of this. Um, maybe just is, is it currently in force as it were? And I just also wanted to ask the, the ILO, International Labour Organization, is there any significance to the fact that it was effective that was one of the four are used? Does is it just probably put a lot more pressure on government to actually meet with solidarity around the table. Um, I don't think that that specifically has more clout in terms of, you know, um, whether it's more significant from a legislation point of view. But what, what is important here is it has been agreed in terms of the settlement agreement that these um, that the terms of the settlement agreement will be included in the employment equity regulations. So what's interesting is there's already draft regulations that are out. So there's much debate as to whether they're merely going to incorporate this into the current draft format or whether there'll be a further set of regulations that will be promulgated. But in terms of the settlement agreement, government has undertaken to include this in employment equity regulations. Ah, brilliant. Well, that should be quite imminent. Okay. The, the regulations which are currently in draft are anticipated to be promulgated in the beginning of September, um, and we're not sure, as I said, whether this will then be incorporated in those or whether there will be a further set of regulations. Great. And I know you were you were talking about um, the list of, of reasonable grounds. Um, sorry, before I, I just had to get to that implementation, I, I wasn't sure if you finished. I know there were quite a few. Of, I mean, when we get to the actual agreement, I know there were five. Um, there were kind of five areas that um, you had to look at um, criteria. I think they called it uh, to ensure compliance with affirmative action measures. And then there were. I think about eight, if I remember, um, justifiable or reasonable grounds, which which you could use, right? Yes. So, so let me let me take you back to firstly the criteria. Yeah. So essentially, when when drafting and implementing employment equity plans, and obviously then annually reporting thereon, businesses will be required to take the following criteria into into accounts yeah. in order to ensure compliance. Okay. And obviously, just to step back there, Evan. When the minister promulgates the numerical goals, which, as I said, is anticipated as well on the 1st of September, um, many companies may then be required to actually update their current employment equity plans because those plans are normally for a period of five years. 
So, so if they fall within an industry or sector that now has to comply with these numerical goals, they will be forced to obviously update and revise their current employment equity plans. And in doing so, they will then have to look at the inherent requirements of the job. This is the criteria. Right. The pooled suitably qualified persons. The qualification, skills, experience, capacity to acquire within a reasonable time frame the ability to do the job. So that's also important because often you can't find the skill set and the courts will often say, well, how long would it have taken to get that person up to speed mm -hmm. and with that skill? And if it's a reasonable period of time, obviously reasonableness depending on the industry, then of course you would be expected to upskill that person. If it is almost impossible to upskill that person in, in a period of time which is going to meet the needs of the business, then that wouldn't be a requirement. Then the rate of turnover and natural attrition within the workplace, and then of course recruitment and promotional trends within the workplace. So those are the criteria that a business have to look at when looking at compliance with affirmative action measures in the workplace. Okay, brilliant. And, and now I have to get to one of the key elements of this ruling, which is applying affirmative action in a nuanced way. I mean, that's interesting. And I think that's quite a, a, a wide definition. It hasn't really been determined exactly what that means yet, right? Yes, I mean, that, that is actually quite disappointing, Evan, because at the mm. moment it already appears in the Employment Equity Act. And nuanced is quite a sort of generic term and very wide open and doesn't yeah. really give us any more clarity as what we had before. So one would have expected that in drafting the settlement agreement they could have come up with a more um, defined um, application mm -hmm. of affirmative action. Um, and as I said, it will be interesting to see you know, how this is then interpreted going, going down the line. Okay. And then maybe let's just go through the list of um, justifiable, reasonable grounds uh, in terms of the settlement agreement. I think those are going to be quite important. And as you say, you're actually in practice already applying some of these. Yes. So this, this is exactly this client of mine will then potentially need to look at these justifiable reasons to see whether in defending the, the case in court, they'll be able to use any of these mm -hmm. grounds. And these grounds are as follows. It's insufficient recruitment opportunities, as I said, if you just couldn't, you know, you didn't have the, the, the need within your business to actually employ more people. Insufficient promotional opportunities, which very much speaks to the same um, point. Um, insufficient target, target individuals from the designated groups with the relevant qualifications, skills, and experience. Now, that's important, Ivan, because whilst most businesses really do want to change the, de the demographics to comply with the demographics within our country. It is very difficult often to find the relevant skill sets and experience to fill specific positions. And at the end of the day, businesses have to be run properly and profitably. Yep. And it would probably be best for businesses to rather bring in people for succession purposes yep. to be mentored than to just fast-track people that are completely out of their depths. Yep. So what's good about that point is that if, if for example, a, a company is looking for an, a, an executive, uh, somebody at executive level, and their numerical goal says that they would like to recruit a colored woman, mm -hmm. and they have interviewed 20 colored women, and they haven't been able to um, – to find the person that meets their specific criteria. At least they'll be able to position themselves in court to say, here are the 20 people that we interviewed. We made every attempt to employ somebody at that particular to meet that numerical goal. However, for these reasons, 
companies we were unable to, and it resulted in us employing a, a, another person from another um, designated area. Makes sense. Then, of course, you've got your CCMA awards or court orders, which is quite self-explanatory. If you get a reinstatement order and you're forced to take somebody back in your employee into a particular position, it may be that you then haven't got that position available anymore for a particular person in a in a you know uh, uh, to meet your 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 numerical goals. Then, of course, transfer of businesses. As we know, there's many mergers and acquisitions that help out, uh, that happen out there. And in terms of Section 197 of the Labor Relations Act, people are automatically transferred over to the new employer. And then, of course, that can mess around significantly with your business's numerical goals because now you're having to fit all these people that you've almost inherited, as it were, into your business. Um, so that most certainly could be a reason why you're then not able to meet your numerical goals. And then um, transfer of businesses and mergers and acquisitions is two separate points, but essentially, as I've said, they really go together. And then the impact on businesses' economic circumstances. So that's quite interesting because many businesses were significantly impacted economically by COVID, and a lot of businesses haven't been able to meet their own numerical goals in the last few years because economically they haven't been able to grow as they anticipated growing. So at least we see that that is clearly a ground which could justify you not having complied to courts and could avoid you being penalised with so, a penalty. Okay, brilliant. No, thanks for that. It makes a lot of sense and it seems to be in line with um, some needs on the ground and realities on the ground, which is, is progress. And then, So just in conclusion, I mean, I'm getting a sense that this will actually be quite positive in assisting businesses in, in drafting and implementing these employment equity plans because there's a lot more clarity. Is, is that a fair reflection? Yes, and as I said, Evan, you know, these all these points have in fact been in the employment equity legislation for some time and in various regulations. But for me, it's just been very succinctly encapsulated in the settlement agreement, and it just makes for easy reading for an employer to understand. And for us as as attorneys to be able to easily advise our clients and to have reference to not only this document, but hopefully in the foreseeable near future, regulations which will incorporate these specific points very clearly. Lisa Ann, thanks very much for the breakdown. Really interesting, um, important developments there. We look forward to having you on the show again to talk about further um, developments in employment equity. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.